Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, and Marcus, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Coffee Is Me podcast. Valerian here with a tiny, tiny pre-podcast message. I have a good news, a tiny bad news and a superb news for you. The good news is that as you will see from the recording, we upgraded our equipment and I think the quality is tenfold compared to the last time. The bad news is that thanks to the new technology, I kind of missed the first five uh, minutes of the podcast, so I apologize for that. You know, usually the first five minutes are kind of just uh, uh, very polite. Hey, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, we skip those. Maybe some people are actually happy about that. And a super awesome news is that in the last podcast, we promised a Coffee is Me meetup. Just in the case that you are not the member of the Coffee is Me Facebook group, or you did not notice the little calendar on Coffee is Me website, I'm just letting you know that our meetup is going to be on December 14th. It's free. It's our thank you to you guys for listening, for tuning in and just sending us all those amazing questions and emails. We are going to have this event in San Rafael, California in Boot Coffee Campus. So if you are interested, let us know. Either register on Facebook on the event or go to Coffee is Me uh, website and there is a little calendar we can register for the event so we know that you plan to come. Again, the event is for free and it is our thank you for you being awesome. All right, that's all for the announcements. And now let's roll with the podcast with the amazing Omekomoto Yoshi. Enjoy. When you're working with consumers, how do you set up the, the tastings and the cuppings? I have not. I have yet to teach a class that's uh, a tasting a tasting class that's a hundred percent for consumers. But I have done a, a lot of cuppings for that's a hundred percent consumers. So how do I, like how do I set the the cuppings up? Yeah, or? do you do it as a cupping? Do you do it as a tasting of filter coffee? Why did you decide to do it? Whichever way you do it. Yeah, I. So when I yeah I, at, at previous jobs where it was part of my job to do the public cuppings or whatever, I would kind of set it up just like a regular, you know, just a regular cupping and be really intentional about making sure everyone knew how to cup before they went through the table. But for me now, as someone working for myself, how I would structure it really differently. I think I really like how um, certain coffee companies, when you go to their their tastings for the public, for consumers, they do filter coffee. I think that's really nice because the cupping is, that's interesting and it can be fun for people. And I also think it's nice to have an option where it's immediately a lot more approachable for consumers. So they're more focused on the coffee itself and less focused on, okay, so I get this spoon and then I make a certain sound and then I spit it in a cup. <laughs> the, the process can be distracting. So when you're wanting to just show people the coffee and get them to experience the coffee, then I think it's really nice to have the filter set up. I'm so happy that you're saying that because we had uh, an event in Slovakia. I still have a company in Slovakia. And, you know, every time we're 
you know, we kind of team up and do a presentation for um, for public. They always people always like, oh, can you do cupping? I was like, why do you want us to do cupping? I mean, they don't know how to do cupping. They find it intimidating. Better let's just brew them awesome coffees and let them immerse in it rather than focusing on, as you said, you know, the slurping. Do I slurp right? This guy slurps differently. It's like, oh, you know, and they kind of like focus on a technique rather than on a coffee. So I find it like, I don't know. If Slovaks are listening, stop doing cupping for you know consumers. Just you know, if they want to do it for fun, sure, but not when you're showcasing your coffees. I find it kind of like I agree with you, distracting, right? Yeah, hundred percent. My um, my first lecture ever at SCA was a lecture on cupping in the cafe, and yeah, pretty quickly after giving that lecture, I realized the limitations of that model. <laughs> it is. It's like totally overwhelming and intimidating and. People stop focusing on what's in their cup, which is too bad. Do you think a cupping spoon makes a difference? I think it depends. I think so. I okay. So I, of course, I own a cupping spoon business and I sell cupping spoons. So my my business is founded on the idea that the cupping spoon can make a difference. I think any tool that you use for something that's important to you can make a difference and any tool can be used as a tool for empowerment. So I focused on the cupping spoon because I felt that cupping was an area in my professional life where I felt very disempowered. So I started selling these rainbow anodized cupping spoons because I was using them myself personally. I would I have so much cupping trauma. I call it cupping trauma. <laughs> and I, I was, I'm a, I'm a licensed Q grader and I was still like, even after I had my Q grader license and I thought this is going to really help me feel confident cuppings, I would get to a cupping and just be so rattled and shaken that I wasn't able to really experience anything meaningful from it. So having this rainbow anodized cupping spoon is super empowering and it's this reminder that's really grounding that's like, hey, I can be myself, one, and I'm kind of a rainbow person and I can have this rainbow spoon and I can do what I came here to do, I can do my job, right? And I don't have to try to match up to anyone else's template, I don't have to, I don't have to be a silver spoon if I'm not a silver spoon, I can be a rainbow spoon. I really love that. I um, I've found that really inspiring when I teach cuppers here as well. And you know, we ordered a handful of cupping spoons from you a year ago now, maybe or nine months ago, because it makes a huge difference. Um, even two years ago, my colleague Willem came back from Taiwan with a whole bunch of cupping spoons from this company. I don't even remember their name, but some of them were like gold plated and like. They didn't work. The gold plating actually fell off after like a week. <laughs> um, but the same company had plastic cupping spoons. You know, they cost like a dollar. They were just like flimsy, thin plastic. And I committed for like two years to only use these plastic cupping spoons. Um, partly because it was like, well, if Marcus, the teacher, is using something that looks like a toy, they're like light blue plastic, right? Um, I had hoped that it would make people more comfortable. And also like for a dollar, right, that's a cupping spoon. I could take a whole bucket and give them to producers and co-op members and things to have a, a professional tool to taste their own coffee, but I needed to make sure that it wouldn't just fall apart. Now they're like three years old in the lab and they still are in as good a shape as when they were new. That's um, amazing. But it's, it's cool. I love your, 
your anodized spoons and the black ones and the gold ones. I always say, you know, if you feel like Beyonce today, here's like your gold spoon. If you feel like Bauhaus today, here's a nice black spoon, you know, make some music references. You know, um, when, I, when, when, I, when I work with Marcus on the, on the courses, usually, you know, I'm his like uh, assistant. So he tosses me in with the students to the, to the cupping room and they, you know, do their cupping exercises and I'm, you know, he's doing his, you know, on Facebook or whatever he does, you know, during that time. And, <laughs> and I see many people kind of gravitating towards your spoons. And I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of cool because I think that personality really matters. Personally, I don't like those plastic spoons. I understand the, you know, the reasoning behind them, but I hate to cup with them. I need to have something heavy, kind of like something, you know, more substantial because I feel that I'm doing something more, more substantial work. It's kind of weird. I know. That's why I have a MacBook laptop. For, it's, it's so psychologically just works that I have a MacBook laptop. I feel that I'm doing more important work. That's way it feels. super weird, right? That's I, I <clears throat> so I offer two styles of cupping spoon and the the newest cupping spoon that I just released this year, I had it custom made to a specific weight mm-hmm. because I surveyed coffee professionals and asked uh, and specifically coffee professionals who do a ton of cupping all the time and asked them for their ideal weight and it was in the fifty four to fifty eight gram range, which is pretty substantial. Yeah. And I released a, this second, second style of cupping spoon that is specifically for people who do a ton of cupping all the time, and it's weighted like to that weight. And people really respond very positively to the weight. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't. I thought I had a question, but I think it's more just a comment that I want to explore with you a little bit, which is, you know, is this idea that like the cupping room can be totally intimidating, and it can be this place of like, I don't know, like machismo, right? It's like who can freaking slurp the loudest who's you know like the tap 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 all the noises that people are that stuff drives me crazy (laughs) yeah um you know but at the same time it's like you know there also is like important work you know as you say the people that are cupping kind of you know for their career like there's high values on the line you know contracts worth a couple hundred thousand dollars like kind of when you think about this how do you balance the the kind of need for it to be like an open and welcoming place with the kind of intensity of the task at hand? I think one, it depends on the function of any given cupping. Right. So it's, if, if, if it is a cupping where it's uh, open to the public and it's for consumers, then you need, a, you have a very <laughs> different goal than if you're trying to decide what what, what green coffee you're going to purchase or, or whatever. That's right. very different value associated. I think also the idea of something being important and serious and also being a welcoming and safe environment, those are, those are not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. So you can have an environment that is professional and it's, and it's serious and it's, it's, taking, it's taking the task at hand seriously. And also you can do that in a way where there's, that is not, I, I think that is not synonymous with machismo or being a jerk. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> and that actually is something that I think a lot of people confuse. They're like, oh yeah, well, it's cupping is very important and serious. And that means that I get to act like a jerk. So I think kind of picking that apart and saying, well, here are these specific behaviors that come up again and again in cuppings kind of across the board that tend to make people feel uncomfortable and that we don't actually need to make the cupping successful no matter what the cupping is for. 
picking apart those behaviors and identifying them. I wrote a series of articles about this uh, this year. Um, that can be really helpful in just saying, okay, this is some stuff that m maybe we don't need to do ever at all. And <laughs> it can make the cupping, no matter what the cupping is for, it can make the cupping more successful. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I love that. And I think we've kind of tried to set up this space maybe with some of the same mindsets in mind. You know, we're boot coffee, we're this coffee lab. We do a lot of, you know, kind of high value work for clients. But I never wanted this space to feel like a lab. I didn't want it to feel like a sterile, you know, all metal tables, white tile cupping lab. I've spent too much time in those. And I want it to be comfortable. And, you know, people often wonder why, like, our, our rinse cups for our cupping spoons are just a bunch of old coffee mugs. Because you know what? I love seeing the original Intelligentsia logo on a mug or, you know, a mug from some producer client that I worked with five years ago that's chipped and has a little crack running down the side because it you know, kind of puts me in a comfortable space as well. And hopefully it does so for, for clients and students. That's yeah, really I cool. So. And, I, and I, I love what you're saying because it reminds me of the trajectory of how we've tried to get baristas from being these intimidating assholes <laughs> um, <gasps> into people that are more like, you know, welcoming and hospitality driven. You know, and I think even just five years ago, how inaccessible a lot of specialty cafes were to a customer. And I think hopefully we've come a long way. I think we have in most cases. Let's do some work. We still have those coffees there. Oh, so my gosh. So okay. we, we had, uh, Melissa, can you give us some uh, dumping thing? Thank uh, you. Wait, 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 those we had already, I think. We didn't have those small ones. Yeah, but I want to taste these again. Oh, okay. If you are insisting. <laughs> I'm with Marcus on this. And you still have these first two, Yes, right? I was saving them. Yeah, so it's, it's not only fun, fun, this podcast. We have to work here, too. We have to taste these coffees and... Uh, you can keep them here for now. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. All right, so we had number one. That was the very first coffee that came out. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what do you think about that coffee and who do you think it is for? Okay, so once again, this is my worst nightmare scenario. <laughs> yeah, we, we torture <laughs> people. And I'm also. being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this coffee for me, what, one thing that, that stands out to me right away is there's a nice minerality. It's almost effervescent to me in the finish. So I really like that. And the finish also is really nice. It's silky, it's lingering. There's some nice, delicate, like, fruit that reminds me of... Mm, it's, like, kind of, like, tropical, like a, like a star fruit, kind of that family, but also there's some nice, like, red berry notes that I appreciate in it. Um, and overall, it's, like, a very stunning coffee, right? And uh, texturally, I think, that's what stands out to me the most, more than any particular like flavor note. Um, and the balance of the coffee is also really nice. So I'm not overwhelmed by any particular like, oh, it's super acidic, mm -hmm. it's like really sweet, it's, it's this or it's that. It's very nicely balanced. So I think this coffee would be, <laughs> I think this coffee would be good for coffee professionals and for people who 
buy uh, who who tend to buy like specialty coffee, those kinds of consumers. I think I so I love this coffee. I think it's really nice and. Uh, also, I think my mom, for example, would not enjoy it. Um, I think the uh, average kind of coffee consumer would probably prefer something that is has a like a heavier texture to it. This is like a pretty light-bodied coffee. Mm-hmm. So, like average consumers, I think really appreciate coffee that feels like it has a weight to it. Kind of like a cupping spoon, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I often wonder like how many of the folks that put milk in their coffee, for example, they're just doing it to intensify the texture right. more than any flavor that it right. adds or flavor that it changes. Right, yeah. yeah. And I think they do it also to kind of minimize the bitterness because usually the coffees they drink with milk, it's so bitter and unpleasant. It kind of like yeah. cuts it through. Could be. So and I love that you said your mom because I, I always use my dad as the example. Where <laughs> yeah. I'll bring coffees like this home for the holidays, and you know he kind of gets it, kind of likes it. Sure. But after like the second morning, or usually midway through the second morning, um, he looks at my wife Devora, who works for Equator, and it's like, okay, where's the Equator blend? I know you brought something that's a little <laughs> bit darker that's going to taste better with my milk and sugar. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, to me, I think it's kind of like for me, if I'm really hungry, like I can appreciate a nice salad, but also I want actual some protein. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be satisfied just eating salad all the time. So can we reveal what is this? Uh, yeah. So this is uh, Finca La Mula, which oh. is a farm that Willem owns. Um, so our company kind of manages that farm in Panama. It's a geisha, lot seven from this year. I just roasted it about an hour before you came um, because I realized we didn't have any. So (laughs) it's always fun to break rules and taste like just roasted coffee. Oh, yeah. That's what I wanted to say, that it was not open. Blah, blah, blah. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think one of the cool things about like the Akawa, right, is I can roast just enough for a Chemex, um, but also roast um, coffee and then drink it right away. It tends to kind of open up a little faster. All right. Let's talk about number two. Okay. Can I have some of the number two, please? Gracias. So yeah, I think this co- this is ob- this is a very different coffee. This is the roast is different on on this, and the flavor profile is totally flipped. It's re- it's focused on you know nuttiness. That's what comes up for me you know, right away is the nuttiness and uh, some dark chocolate, some dark chocolate and milk chocolate. The nuttiness to me is a more like. It's more like roasted hazelnut or like toasted toasted mm-hmm. hazelnut um, than it is like peanuts, um, but there's some of that in it too. The texture is more substantial. It's not it's it's not like a super heavy bodied coffee to me. Mm-hmm. It's it tastes like it would be, but it's not really. It's like pretty medium to me, and it also has still some. So it's not like 100% just like nuts and chocolate. It also has some acidity to it and a little bit of fruit. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, picking up the fruit, which surprised me, because mm-hmm. I'm kind of guessing what is this, 
I I I still don't like the uh, kind of metallic bitterness in aftertaste. That kind of like it's not very pleasant. Although if it is what I think it is, it's one of the best things. Ah, good. This has been a long-going discussion on this podcast <laughs> um, and in our personal friendship about Robusta. Nice. So this is a Robusta that I just brought back from Brazil where I was last week. Okay. Um, I thought it might be a Robusta. Yeah, and it's um, Fazenda Venturim. It's a black honey conilone, as mm. they call it. Um, and it was cool. I was talking to this producer. They actually roasted this coffee themselves as well. Um, and, you know, here's somebody, the family's been growing Robusta for many years, and they kind of had this aha moment of, wow, hey, you know, what if we pick this coffee and sort it and treat it like a specialty product? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we have? Because they didn't really know what they had. And I think success. I mean, I'm always yeah. looking for interesting, delicious, but kind of at the same time, this idea of clean Robustas that, you know, maybe have that bitterness, that slightly metallic quality, but they're not rubbery or... Yeah. Or... Or funky, it, like it lingers really pleasantly. The fact that we had to think about it, is it Robusta, is it that? That's already a great time because, man, I put it out in a smell and I'm just like, Bleh. but this one was not <laughs> the case, you know. So, yeah, congrats to Fazenda. Fazenda um, Venturim. Okay. So we, hopefully I can find somebody to let me throw a few bags on a container and bring some of this green coffee in. Awesome. This yeah. is a great coffee. I think a lot of people would love this coffee. I agree. It's beautiful. And it was so great because they had, you know, this is a black honey, but they had the same exact variety of Robusta grown in a different part of the farm and a very different terroir that tasted totally different. You know, some were more exotic, some were more familiar. So they're really kind of pushing all of these ideas of processing and terroir and variety with Robusta. We should start a Death Wish 2.0 because this time actually it is really, you know, high caffeine. (laughs) <laughs> it's just not like, you know, just talking about it, but it is real high caffeine because, you know, Robusta has almost more, twice as much as yeah. Arabica, right? Yeah, and, and I, I feel forget that, yeah. After tasting it for a while, like days when I've cupped a lot of Robusta, whew, it's, that is the tough, tough day because of the caffeine. <laughs> yep. I'm really, I'm really impressed with how, for a Robusta, how delicate it is. So I wouldn't call it a delicate coffee, mm-hmm. you know, just approaching it off the street or whatever but when you're thinking about robusta and you're thinking about delicacy those don't really go hand in hand right this is a really delicate robusta yeah it's like nuanced it's nuanced and it has clarity to the flavors Mm -hmm. it's not just like muddled nuts and chocolate yeah except after if they can manage the aftertaste that which i still have on my palate that would be a coffee which i can drink as a like ordinary day coffee no problem and I wonder how it tastes on espresso because, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Should, yeah. we, should we go next? Yeah, you want to taste sure. some more coffees? Yes. Yeah. Let's do the, the one with the red dot. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you. So we just discarded a little bit of um, this Lamula and Thank you. Robusta that was left in our cups as. Umeko commented, oh, here I am, wasting coffee. Um, <laughs> Nobody take my picture while I'm doing this. <laughs> but um, but it, I think, you know, one of the most interesting books to come out in coffee this year is your book. So we'll make sure we have the time to talk about that later on. Well, thank you. Okay. Okay. 
now we're in mystery land. I don't know which is which. So yeah, mm. me too. I'm. I want to taste the other one right away because uh, I think that our. I think Melissa is wrong. You think Melissa is wrong? Yeah, she said that you know this one. The, the labels will reveal the things, but I think that. Oh okay. Mm -mm. She's not wrong. Okay. Are you ready to talk about it? Ooh. So Melissa, just double check. Let, let, let's first talk about them. Okay, go for it. The, the red label. Uh, this is a... The, I, okay, I'm not sure if this was the red label or... The first one. The, the first, first one? one? Okay, yeah. 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 We like to use color-coded stickers instead of complicated codes <laughs> sometimes. Although if you ask somebody to pick out their favorite soda doing a sensory test, the red label, you can always get a Pepsi drinker okay. or a Coke drinker to say that it's that RC is their favorite. But we are professionals here. We yeah. know that's we a know. We can We can get past yeah. the kicks. But we can't. <laughs> uh, okay, this is this coffee is intense, and it's intensely vegetal to me. Um, so, and vegetal is a word that some people can use and have a, a certain meaning attached to it, like a judgment attached to it. And I'm not saying that with a judgment. It's t uh, the flavor notes that I get are like bell pepper, um, snap pea, like green pea, um, right off the bat to me. I also tend to be more sensitive to those flavors, so when I taste a lot of that in a coffee, I try to um, put that into the perspective of like, those are flavors that jump out to me a lot. Hmm. Um, it's very sweet, and I really appreciate that sweetness. There's a nice acidity, it's a malic acidity. Um, it reminds me kind of of, um, kind of like, a, like an apple, Apple, apple juice, I would say mm -hmm. apple juice, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it has like almost, I mean, it's, it's intensely sweet. It's a very sweet coffee, right? And the, and the acidity is, if you, if you drink apple juice, the acidity and the sweetness in like a, con, like a concentrated, from concentrate apple juice like that you buy in the store, um, that it really matches up very perfectly, I think, with what I taste in this coffee where it's it and the intensity, you know, of that is very uh it, it matches up really well with that. Um and there's a nice body to it. I like the body. It's very silky and round to me. The finish is really nice. It's a mouthwatering finish. Keeps going. Yeah. Nice. I I was super surprised about this one, honestly. Yeah? Yeah. That's I love the t like the tension between that sweetness and the bitterness as well, and maybe it's sort of thinking about bitter having just tasted a robusta. Mm -hmm. But there's like to me the intensity of the bitterness is more in this coffee than even in the robusta. But it totally works because it's kind of supported by that right. like rich like caramelized sugar sweetness. It doesn't stay with me though, like on the robusta. Robusta was like with me for a long time. This one is kind of like the body supports it and kind of goes away. Um, it's surprising because this one is, I should know this coffee very well because I roasted it <laughs> and I got confused myself, which is super interesting, right? Um, I roasted this one on Loring and not here on the geese, which I usually do. Huh. On the geese, and this coffee still has the kind of appleness, uh, has more chocolate and nuttiness. It's a Brazil, uh, it's from Unleashed Coffee. Hmm. But on Loring, and this one is actually three weeks old. Hmm. So it's, 
it was confusing for me because I did not know it's Brazil at all. Yeah, I would the, never guess. The acidity was like very nice and not strong, but it's kind of like very balanced. I was like, wait, mm -hmm. is this the one which is the fourth one? Or it's like, man, it's, it's fun. This is so much fun. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And yeah, and the, the acidity did, it reminded me of like the acidity in some vegetables when you, when you taste them. That's where I was kind of picking the, the vegetal quality and it, it's nice. It, maybe it's just the time of year, but it also kind of reminded me of like cooked squash. Uh -huh. Oh, uh-huh. Right? Like it was sweet in the way that like a, um, like a delicata squash or something is mm -hmm. when you cook it. Ooh, I love delicata squash. I know we bought one last night, so it's, I feel like an NPR host right now. <laughs> <laughs> These, yeah, this coffee, I, and I, uh, Marcus, you and I have talked about this before where there are certain flavor notes that are more in the savory and umami categories that if you say those flavor notes, there's a judgment that comes with it, right? Mm -hmm. So, and because that doesn't necessarily fit into how we score coffee, we, the way that we score coffee, like the sheet prejudice prejudices us toward specific flavors in coffee. And it's not coffee, it's not language that necessarily sells coffee. Right. We don't put on the bag that it tastes like squash necessarily. So we don't end up looking for those qualities, and when we do find them, we might approach them with a, with a bias against them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I I personally like I taste this coffee, and I taste a lot of those more savory qualities along with the, the sweetness, and I think it's really nice. Yeah, I yeah. you you mentioned there's something. Let me kind of like remind you. Uh, which touched the uh, topic of objectivity and cupping that we actually, that is that we have certain expectations when we cup coffees, but isn't cupping as a Q grader, uh, shouldn't be it for us uh, like very objective rather than subjective? Is that, that's the question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's, I, I, I think there is an idea of what should be. And then there's the idea of what's possible. And those are sometimes aligned more closely than other times. I think in coffee, we have established these systems that don't lend themselves particularly well to objectivity. Even the Q grader course is, when, when you take the Q grader course, you're calibrating to your cohort. You're not calibrating to a standard. You're not calibrating to your instructor necessarily or to like a CQI standard. You're calibrating to the people around you. So that itself lends to more uh, subjectivity. And like I mentioned before, when you are scoring coffee using the SCA cupping sheet, you're given these... Uh, these sort of designated boxes where you're you're looking for it's this amount of sweetness it's this amount of acidity whatever you don't have a box that's like oh it's this amount of umami it's this amount of savory yeah, right? right so your your experience is really heavily informed by the score sheet basically because you're looking for those those things and then you also each person has their own uh, sense memory bank that's very individual and very 
um, specific to your upbringing, to the foods you grew up eating, to the foods you eat now, to that last meal you ate, right? And like Marcus, you were mentioning right. squash and you're like, I don't know if it's just because squash is in season right now, you know? hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> so there, it, because humans are not, we're not rational. And I don't say that in a mean way. Like I think that's something that's really endearing and wonderful about humans is that we're not rational. We're very emotionally driven and we're very, uh, motivated by a lot of factors that are in the moment and uh, also that are in our heads, you know, and we aren't great at separating it out. We don't have to be necessarily, but we're like, we're, we are not um, precise scientific instruments. So I think that is something that is really beautiful though, and something that should be recognized not so we can say and we are terrible <laughs> but <laughs> you know that that can be recognized and say like and that's really cool about us and also it, when we're assigning a value to a coffee based on our own subjective judgments I think it's really important to really recognize that these are subjective judgments yeah I agree I think the agreeing to disagree sometimes about a score is just as powerful and it's you know it's a change in the Q program that I've seen in over the years where it seems that instructors now are much more likely to kind of empower students to own a coffee, right? If you really love a coffee or you really object to something in a coffee, use your range. Don't be afraid of being out of calibration as long as your experience of it and your description of it kind of aligns. Um, and I think that's important because you see that, like especially cupping with producers that really know the markets for their coffees. You go to Panama and you cup coffee with Wilfred Lamastis and he can sort of look at a room and kind of think about the cultures that people are coming from, the cultures that they're from, the countries that they've traveled from and know that like certain coffees will probably be more appealing. It's not a, as you said, it's not a scientific yep. formula, but it's like, oh, these coffees I think are going to be more appealing to the cuppers in the room from Hong Kong than the cuppers from the U.S. in the room. I love uh, Wilfred and Lamastus and I love his coffees, but I have to say, uh, somebody gave me his $2,000, whatever it was that. It was, yeah, it was $1,100 coffee. We tasted that here a few weeks ago. I was like, I was super disappointed about that. I was like, no. I was like, what happened with the beautiful Lamastus <laughs> coffees? And, you know, he actually has a video I shot with him and he explains that he does this. He does, he knows the market in, uh, in United States, Europe, or or uh, Asia, and he knows how to adjust the he called the fruitiness of the coffee, and he actually talks about the techniques. But coming back to your point, it's, I have goosebumps. It's so refreshing what you just said, because you know um, I'm I'm a black sheep of Q grading. I would say that I'm a very, I mean I'm certified everything, but I really think that all the tasting is individual and actually it's a science you know it's scientifically proven that everything happens in your brain and my brain is not your brain so it is for sure subjective and second i'm a bit scared of standards i'm scared of calibrating to somebody else because we had starbucks everybody was drinking dark roast even today and dark roast is a standard is it bad or good i don't want to put judgment on that for some people love that some people don't love that then, you know, we got the light rose and everybody hopped on that. It's like, oh, it has to be juicy, has to be acidic. In Europe, what we have, what I have issues with many times is undeveloped. You know, you kind of taste the greeniness, which I don't like. People in Europe loved it, but it became a trend. And I hate trends. I hate when we say that, oh, this should taste like that. I think 
if you surprise me unique flavors, that's the best thing. So I'm a bit scared of the Q grading that way. I understand all that, you know, professional need and stuff for that, but I'm kind of scared of that, that it will again create us kind of like a concept that all the coffee should taste like this. A good example is the geisha when like mm -hmm. everybody competes with geisha. It's like, I love geisha, but if everybody will compete with geisha, boy, I mean, what about the typicas? What about the bourbons and laurinas or whatever, you know, we have in the world, right? So refreshing. So thanks. <laughs> sure. Also, I, I really love the point you made about the competition coffees. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Did, did anyone compete? Did, did it change or this is still true? I'm not following too much competitions. It's still pretty it's, much true. It's pretty much true. And the, the change really came about, I think, when the scoring. I used to be a head judge in this whole game. Um, when the score sheet started evaluating and rewarding baristas on their ability to accurately describe the flavors in their coffee. I think that's when it became the geisha show because there is that sort of clarity or cleanliness or whatever you want to call it, where it's not like you're looking through a lot of muddled descriptors. That um, also is an area in the, in that score sheet that I feel continually baffled by because of how subjective it can be. Like, and, and yeah, you, totally, I, I agree with you with the, um, with the geishas, you're able to find, because the fruit notes are so articulated, you're able to find a lot more easily really close analogs in the, you know, in the fruit, fruit, fruit flower candy world. But still, each judge's experience is, is so subjective and I, I've, I'm not a judge, so I am curious actually about your experience. What, what is that like? If Are there times when one judge is saying that those flavored descriptors didn't match my experience and another judge is saying the opposite? It happens. Um, and, you know, and as a head judge, it's always interesting because then you taste everybody's coffee and sort of see, like, well, do the coffees actually taste different? And then how much kind of allowance is the judging pool given to kind of be out of calibration on their scores but it's it's really hard and it's you know and, it, and it's to the point where like what if this robusto that we just tasted was in competition because that is a there's a lot of articulated flavors there things that are pretty easy to suss out you know could a coffee like that do well just because of it there's a challenge to all the baristas out there right let's compete with this oh no i mean i'm sure that the robusta would not slide on any uh competition somebody, also like, somebody used it in brazil i think in their brewers cup um this Kudo. last week and they were in the i think they went to the finals oh my gosh okay cool. of course awesome. geisha village won sure <laughs> even in brazil <laughs> but well i mean next time unleash coffee is going to win we are harvesting our geishas but that's secret that's okay <laughs> let's try the other coffee yeah so the, the, the last one. coffee with the green label uh, can I have some, please? Oh. I'm just drinking them, then I have these rants, you know, I go crazy because I'm so caffeinated already. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want more? No, that's okay. okay. That's cool. Go for it. Ooh, I like this. Ooh, I'm so happy. I know somebody who will be very happy. You know somebody who will be very happy? That you like it, yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, so this is the first coffee where that we've tasted where I'm getting um, a, a more citric acidity. So 
Uh, and for me, it's like uh, maybe I really either like there's uh, some bitterness that's that's happening there, and the acidity is kind of like a really nice sweet Meyer lemon. So I would put them together, and then I typically will come up with grapefruit when that happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. It's a mouthwatering coffee. It tastes like just drinking some fresh, clear grapefruit juice. It's very texturally dynamic, I would say. And it's very, it's very sweet. It's the sweetness is definitely noticeable and it's there. I would say there's more acidity, but it still feels balanced to me. Cause I, I think t- to me, like you can have a coffee that's more acidity forward, but still have balance there. And mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that about this, this coffee. There's, oh yeah, there's some, uh, there's some other fruit happening there that I really enjoy is like, s- like strawberry shortcake stuff going on. And some grape and like current and more in the purple thing. Yeah, there's a lot happening here that I'm really into. I'm like super into this coffee. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's like, and often my just instinct of the quality of a coffee is, do I just want to keep coming back to it? Mm-hmm. Right? Like either on the cupping drink. table, do I want to just keep cupping it? Or here where we're drinking filtered coffees and I just refilled my cup and I'm going to drink all of this coffee. Yeah, it's uh I enjoyed this a lot, and I'm so happy that it turned out because I didn't try this before, so it's the first time I'm sipping this. Uh, for me, there is a grainy quality, which the only quality which kind of a little bit ruins it for me. But I think that the reason is this is a one-month-old coffee. It came all the way from Slovakia. It's from Green Plantation, so my European company. It was roasted on uh, Probat UG22. So uh, it's from Finca Bethania in Nicaragua. Mm. Oh yeah, I know it That's, sounds great. Coffee is amazing. Yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. So uh, Peter, who is the CEO and a head roaster, uh, he'll be super happy that you guys liked it because I'm always on his tail. Poor guy. <laughs> so it's nice. nice job, Peter. This is beautiful coffee. Did you say? Sorry, I I didn't quite hear. Did you say there's a graining quality? A or grain. A green. Okay, got it. The grain, like oh, a grain, like a cereal kind yeah, of thing. To me, it's kind of like multi rye mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah i think rye. it might be what i would describe as stra- the shortcake and the strawberry shortcake ah, yes yeah. yes that's what i 100%. meant for it because it's like a fun of fruitiness but also kind of like something like baked bread or something mm-hmm. like yeah and it works because it does it's like the synergy right it comes together to create something that's right that is like a baked good it's perfect mm-hmm. um yeah I'm, I'm just curious like you know how do you navigate on the cupping form Emeka, when when you come across a a characteristic or a flavor that you want to make note of that might be seen as a negative, but you actually kind of like it. Is there a way that you navigate that both from a descriptive sense, but also on the score? Uh, sorry, I keep just getting distracted by this coffee. It just keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yay, I just got some, some molasses. Which was really nice. Anyway, so uh, the, yeah, that's a great question. For me, I personally, I do not, I'm not in a lot of situations where I have to use the SCA cupping 
sheet. So that helps me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's part. We, uh, we here at Boot Coffee have kind of thrown it out as well. Okay. We have our own more descriptive analysis sheet. Sure. We can score with that sheet just like the SCA, but it gives us more tools sure. to be descriptive. I was using the... I most recent the most recent time when I was assigning scores to a coffee in a situation where it 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 mattered you know it wasn't just like for fun uh was when I was scoring the or I was judging the good food awards and using the cropster cup score sheet and that was I you know that's like it that's a tough situation to be in when you're judging good food awards because it's you, you don't have time to you're just like there's just like so many tables of coffee you have to get through and it's not really the best time to figure out how you want to express your own unique take on this one specific coffee I would say right um I don't think I have an answer for you honestly I think for me I just don't tend to use the I don't tend to use score sheets because I feel pretty limited by them and I don't tend to if I'm using a score sheet then I make use of whatever field there is for just notes right right and incorporate the notes into my overall score so if I'm adding everything up and it doesn't totally make sense then unless I incorporate the qualities that I noted in the in the like extra notes field, then I kind of look back through the score sheet and think like, how can I translate that into one of these boxes to bump up that score? Right. Which is not, you know, it's not like a really great way to do it. Yeah, no, it's, it's hard. It's, it's something I've been thinking about and struggling about for a while. And even last week I spent half a day working with a bunch of cuppers, like 40 cuppers that work for this massive Brazilian exporter. And I was asked to give a presentation to them and then cup some kind of experimental coffees with them. And and as I was preparing for that, I decided not to do a presentation, but just to have a discussion with them. Because I, I kind of wanted to hear their in, take input on that as well and to challenge them to use more descriptors than the SCA score sheet kind of allows for. I think when you're working for a large exporter in a country like Brazil, you're tasting a lot of coffees that are similar, but at the end of the day, they are all unique too. And they need to be able to share that information, you know, kind of further downstream in the supply chain. It's really hard for, for all of us. And yeah, I, I think our tools fail us. I know, I know you guys want more of Umeko Motoyoshi and also charming Marcus Young, but you know what? It's time to end it here because actually recorded almost two hours and uh, too much of good can hurt you. You can get excited today about the second episode of the podcast with uh, Umeko Motoyoshi, which we're going to publish very, very soon. Umeko has over 13,000 followers on her Instagram account, and she's going to give us a few tips how to uh, achieve the same. We're also going to dissect an experiment we did with Marcus on the San Francisco Coffee Fest. We offered two coffee store visitors. One was a very fancy geisha coffee, and the second one was just a very basic but very nice uh, Brazilian coffee. How did coffee nerds on this coffee festival react? And why do we think they reacted the way they did? Everything and more we are going to reveal in the next episode of Coffee Is Me podcast with Umeko Motoyoshi, Marcus Young and myself, Valerian Hrala. Looking forward to talk to you soon.